It's the sheriff. Podcast, baby. Yeah. It's the sheriff. HL man of the year. 500 pro fights in his career. Got the record for most ice fights in the season. Chill. the sheriff. Lucky you still breathe. It's the sheriff. HL man of the year. 500 pro fights in his career. Boom. Got the record for most ice fights in the season. Chill. Despite the sheriff. Lucky you we still filmed the pod today. You listen in tomorrow. The heavyweight champ, yeah, Sean McMall. Sheriff, he and yeah, pro, yeah, he holding it down. Big man playing it right. Thumbs up to the crowd. Welcome, everybody, to an exclusive edition of The Sheriff. Boy, oh boy, do I ever have a treat for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you will hear an incredible story tonight. But what I want everybody to concentrate on is when one door closes, usually another door opens. As long as you can work hard, stay positive, and look forward to the future. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls all over the world, I would like to introduce to you my guest tonight. He hails from Thornhill, Ontario. At six feet, 189 pounds, he is a middleweight. He is a three-time Paralympic goaltending gold medalist. He is the oldest rookie in Canadian national sledge team history. He completed for Canada in the sitting volleyball in 2007 in Brazil. He became the official ambassador and spokesperson for the National Benefit Authority. Author of the book, Never Give Up. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, my friend, Paul Rosen. How are you doing today, my man? Sheriff. I gotta tell you one thing, before we get going, it is an honor, I'm humbled to be on your show, I watch all your shows, I love your brother. I haven't been 189 pounds in 20 years. Hey listen, I saw that you were in shape, I assumed that you were back to your playing shape, so I had to do that. Yeah. But now, before we continue, I know some people might not be happy with this, but we are in Toronto, where the, the Air Canada Centre, now known as Scotiabank, is known to be pretty quiet. We don't want that effect here, so I'm gonna need the crowd to get rallied up just a little bit. Thank you very much. We don't want to be known as how it is in the Scotiabank Arena with all those corporate fans. So it is, I'm just joking, ladies and gentlemen. It is absolutely rocking at Bottom Line tonight, and I'm very, very excited to have the show. Now, Paul, the one thing about me is I'm a very, very hyper and loud person. Passionate, so, I say passionate. Passionate, you can say. But but the one thing that I like to do, Paul, is I love to go to the beginnings. I love to find out how these characters were created and where it came from. So I want to go to the childhood, man. I want to go to Thornhill. Now, it does say birthplace Thornhill. Am I correct? Well, I was born in downtown Toronto, but I lived the good portion of my childhood in Thornhill. Right on. So I want to talk about the family a bit. I want to talk about school, all the juicy stuff. So let's talk about the upbringing of Paul Rosen. Well, the upbringing of Paul Rosen is, uh, is kind of a little crazy. My dad, who's still alive today, 92 years old, he was my hero growing up. He, uh, he had a discipline uh, structure in the house. Yeah. Uh, and you couldn't live that way now where, you know, if I did something wrong, I, I paid the price and it's, it's all in the book. Um, 
My my mom was a my mom was a there you go Kerry Goulet the Gooch he's got his put his two cents in the Gooch Robin. is in the building yeah and he'll be here soon no for me I I had a good upbringing good parents uh, they did everything they possibly could and one of the things that I do in a lot of my talks is I think it's too easy nowadays to complain about your upbringing and my mom did this and my dad did. my parents did the best job they could was it a, a perfect job far from perfect. But that's how they were taught, and that's how they taught me. And uh, I, I'm grateful for, for that. I have a younger sister I'm extremely close with. I have an older brother, and he's the guy, uh, Sheriff, that got me into sport. Without him and all of his friends, I was fortunate. He's four years older than me, and I was fortunate when I was growing up to play hockey and baseball and football and all the sports I loved with his friends, so I got better very fast. Well, thank you for sharing that, buddy. I, I, I love hearing all the little stories from the childhood because I'll be honest with you, I believe that it's from that time that our character develops. The people we are right now, it develops right when we're at that age. So, so I, appreciate, I appreciate you sharing that. I wanted to get in right off the hop. I wanted to get into 1975, my friend. Sure. So 1975 was a year that something really dramatic happened to you. Now, if my math is right... <laughs> <laughs> I might not want to embarrass myself. How old were you when this happened in 1975? And I'll let yeah. you explain it. Yeah. Obviously coming straight from the mouth. Yeah, so I was 15 years old. I was born April 26, 1960. So uh, it was in uh, April of, of 2000, and, uh, pardon me, of 1975. I was 15 years old. I was playing hockey, a right winger for the Thornhill Thunderbirds. We were in the old Barry Dunlop Arena. You probably know oh, it yes. well. It's, it, it's now a fire hall. They've knocked it down. Every time I drove through Barry, I got the shakes when I drove by the old Dunlop Arena, which is gone now, thankfully. Um, and I was coming around the net and caught a rut in the ice, and my, uh, my leg broke, spiral fractured all the way up. And that was pretty well it for me. But back in 1975, if you had a severe injury like that, the doctors, the therapists, nobody really wanted to touch somebody like that. And I was a pretty big right winger. I had a good shot. Uh, I, whether I could have made it professionally or not, I don't know. Maybe I could have had a career like Gooch, uh, Kerry Goulet, and played in Europe for a long time. But all I know is from that moment on, that was the end of my hockey career. So I thought. But as you said, Sheriff, before, believing in yourself, you always have to have somebody. And my dad was the guy who taught me never give up. When I came home, I had a cast on from my groin to my toes. It was about a 50-pound cast back in the day that was hooked and tied around my neck. There's a picture in the book of it. And he said to me, I'll never forget it. It was in May of 1975. He said, you're going to do something incredible with your life. I was 15, just ready to leave school from a lot of issues I had in school. Dyslexia, being told I was an idiot, uh, you know, failing grade 8 twice to having my dad tell me when I was my lowest that I never thought I could survive without hockey. Something great's gonna happen to you. Didn't realize it was gonna take losing my leg and 25 years later for it to happen, but it always can happen. Now, Paul, again, thank you for sharing that, buddy. I know that that's very personal. So now, I got a, I got a couple of questions about, about the leg situation. Now, I read that it was broken in 14 places. I just can't get over how it, it, that can be such a big number. Can you explain that a little bit more to the viewers and audience? Like when they say, oh, the, he broke his arm in 20 places, yeah. he broke his leg in 14 places. Like, like, is it hairline fractures they're counting? Or like, 
Yeah, pretty well. It's a, it's a spiral fracture, so it spirals down from the mid-shin right up into the knee. The knee was destroyed. Three of the four ligaments in the knee were destroyed, and then a spiral fracture up. And the one thing is, like, breaks in a leg, especially a leg, can heal pretty fast and usually will be stronger than ever. It's the ligament damage that will cost me the trouble for the bulk of my life, tearing my ACL, my MCL, my PCL, the posterior cruciate ligament, which they call the avalanche's injury. It very rarely happens. When it happens, it's tough to recover from, especially when you're 15 and you're still growing and, and you're not sure what tomorrow's gonna bring. So it, it was quite an injury. So now, and, and again, thanks for explaining that because I, I was beside myself trying to figure out how could a man break his leg in 14 places? Like, did he fall 14 times? You know, but, but thanks for sharing that. No, I appreciate that. What I wanted to get into now, I'm gonna be screwing up the timeline a little bit. Don't worry. But before I forget, there's something that's really important that I wanted to bring up in this show, which we were talking about right before we started recording. So now, I believe this was probably about five or six years ago, okay? My sister, Catherine McMorrow, who's married to my brother-in-law, Danny Granger Art, yep. they live just about five minutes from here, sir. And you, my friend, were in the elevator, and you know what? I think it'd be better to hear it from you, because it involves my mom, myself, and you. Paul, please take it away, my friend. Yeah, so like you, uh, Sheriff, I talked to everybody, and I was living in 77 Harbor Square just down the street. I was in an elevator. A lady was in the elevator with me, uh, maybe saw her a couple of times in the building. We started talking. Uh, one thing led to another. She saw my ring. Uh, we started talking about hockey. My son's a former professional hockey player and has had a few issues. We, uh, there you go right there. That's from Torino. And the uh, one thing led to another, I got your number, and we started talking about mental health and, and different issues that a lot of hockey players have, and we tend to push it under the rug because, you know, you're known as the sheriff, the big, tough, strong guy. I you try know, to be. I'm Rosie Rosie. Everybody looks at the, the gold medals and the dinners with the prime ministers, but they have no clue what happens when the door shuts and the demons attack. And a lot of players that played at a high level have demons in their life from many different ways, whether it's drugs or alcohol or, or issues in school. Um, it's just very important to talk about it. And that's where we originally met. So thanks to your mother for, uh, for that introduction. Absolutely. And like, I, just to add to that, Paul, so I remember the day getting a call from you. Now, first of all, my mom gave me a heads up. She's like, you know, there's a hockey player named Paul Rosen. That's, that, that wants to speak to you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, at this time, I was not doing well in my life. I was going through some really hard things. Yep. I, was, I, I was struggling to get through them. I spoke to Mr. Rosen, and the motivation that he gave me, I'm not even making this up. You changed my, the, the direction of my life at that time. And that's why I, felt, I thought it was just important to make sure that we get that out there, to let people know that there is help out there. It's okay to not be okay, as long as you address it. Absolutely, and one of the most important things I want people to understand that are watching the show right now is the ultimate for me is what's happened here. So you were hurting, you were having some trouble, we talked, thankfully my words to you helped you get to the next level. Absolutely. But now what's important for me and I want people to really understand it, is you've taken it to the level where now you're helping the next person out there, man, woman, boy, girl, whoever, who's struggling and needs that help. So you've taken yourself from being hurt mentally, physically, 
uh, emotionally now to helping that next person. And that's what it's all about because we can't do it forever. So for me to do it to you now and you to do it to somebody else, that's somebody else to take it to the next level. That's the only way we're going to survive is helping each other. And you know what, Paul? I got to I gotta give an applause for that because we clap for each other around here. That's, that's very, very, very powerful stuff, buddy, and I appreciate that. So now we are in a time traveler. We are now going to travel to 1999. 1999 sounds, sounds pretty cool. I think I was playing Junior A Tier 2 at the time, before the OHL. Um, so 1999, this was another big year for you, Paul. Okay, so now, for two decades, you had multiple, multiple surgeries, trying to figure out this problem, trying to get better, trying to get back to what you thought was yourself, okay? 1999 comes around. Can you continue from here? Absolutely. I was fortunate I was involved with the Israeli national hockey team and I had a bunch of buddies who were trying to help me as much as I could. I had so many surgeries. It was May of 1999. I had a phone call to one of the guys on the Israeli team. My, I was at wit's end, to be really honest with you. I was suicidal. I was taking 40 Oxycontins a day. People might go, oh my God, how could you survive taking that many pills? When, when you become addicted to, a, especially a painkiller, and a lot of guys in hockey and girls in hockey who have serious injuries, that one painkiller turns to two, turns to five, and turns, with me, turns to like Skittles. The painkillers had nothing to do with pain anymore. They had all to do with just taking them as a routine. I took my painkillers just because they were routine. Five, 10, 15, it didn't make a difference. I was talked to by a buddy of mine on the national team. He said, hey, Rosie, why don't you come to Israel and we'll get an opportunity to see a doctor here. I had already had 31, 32 surgeries at this time. So I got to Israel. I call this the three craziest days of my life. I got to Israel on June the 8th, 1999, met with a couple of doctors who basically told me that uh, pretty well amputation was the only option for my life. On June the 9th, 1999, they amputated my leg and on June the 10th, I was 100% healthy. Those are three crazy days. Came back to Canada and then wanted a new life, and that's basically what I did. And, and the crazy thing, Sheriff, that a lot of people don't understand is in the last 20, because it's coming up on 25 years, in the last 25 years, I've had a lot of I issues. Gotta give, I got to give another applause. Right. 25 years. In the last 25 years, I've had a lot of issues in my life with addiction, with divorce, with many different things. Never once have I felt sorry for myself for losing my leg. Never once have I had a problem with losing my leg because the leg gave me an opportunity to do some incredible things. I, I truly believe everybody in this world has a wall in front of them. You have two choices. You allow the wall to crush you or you crush the wall. I've been fortunate enough to have a strong enough mentality to crush the wall and have played you know I, I joke with people I'm 63 years old the first 39 years of my life I traveled to Port Credit and to Oshawa a couple of times the last 25 years of my life I've traveled around the world three different times so take a leg tragedy oh my god he lost his leg poor Paul Rosen forget poor Paul Rosen I've traveled the world since I lost my leg so now, now I want to jump in a little bit here. So now, my a big question that I have is, what was the connection to the national sledge team? Like, like what was the first connection that you made that bridged that gap for you to become the star goaltender? 
So the first thing I did when I came back to Canada and lost my leg is I went to a place called Bridey Village. It's not far from here. Anybody that wants to just look it up, Bridey Village. Danforth uh, and Kingston Road. You got it. Archie Allison, one of the greatest human beings in the, in the history of mankind. He was there. I met a kid there, Shane Smith, who's a triple amputee. Shane Smith, so you imagine, I want you to just imagine this for a second, everybody listening and watching now. He's 12 years old. At two years old, he lost three of his four limbs. He comes wheeling up to me in his wheelchair, finds out that this other guy is coming in here who happened to be Jewish. So I'm gonna tell something here that people are gonna be blown away. Not a lot of Jewish elite athletes in the world. That's, that's, <laughs> you laughed, you got it. Um, so this kid sees this Jewish guy coming in here and he's a pretty good athlete and he wheels up to me and he says to me, Hey, how you doing? I'm Shane Smith. And we started talking, and he was the one that got me involved. He told me about wheelchair basketball, wheelchair rugby. I, didn't, I wasn't interested in any of it until he said hockey. And he said two things that made me go, oh, my God, sled hockey and it's contact. Full con so I said, you mean I could get in a sled and hammer somebody? Yeah. I love that. So he got me involved in sled hockey. It was Shane Smith, who's now 35 years old. He just beat cancer. This guy is the most incredible kid. He plays on the wheel, Canadian wheelchair rugby team. He's an inspiration to me every time I talk to him. But he said two things to me that turned my life around, Sheriff. He said to me, and this is a 12-year-old missing three limbs. And he said to me, hey, Rosie, you still have your brain? You still have your heart? And once he said those two things, I said, physically, I might look a little different. Mentally and emotionally, I'm stronger than anybody I'll ever meet. And that turned me around to try out for and make the Canadian team. Okay. Gotta give another applause for that one, big guy. Hey, the place is rocking. We got books falling over and everything. So, that's incredible. I gotta get this name again. Mr. Shane Smith. Shane Miss Smith, he's 35 years old. Google him, he's the most incredible person out there. He plays for the Canadian wheelchair rugby team, getting ready to go to Paris next summer. An unbelievable, he's missing three of his four limbs, and he is, he's just an incredible human being. Huge shout out to Shane Smith. Shane, thank you for being you, my man. <laughs> absolutely, that is absolutely awesome. So, now, the, the, the other thing I wanted to bring up is, I mean, obviously, Paul, you've had incredible success with the hockey. Absolutely great success. Now, I want to go over some of these accolades. You know, we were, we were blessed with having you to bring in an actual gold medal today. That's it. Okay. So, gold medal. All right. So, now, there's quite an interesting story behind this gold medal. And uh, I would love for you to tell it. But before you do so, we're going to be bringing up both of our big, like, good friend, Don, Mr. Don Cherry. I'm thinking that the gold medal is the mic. <laughs> Mr. Don Cherry, okay, he is a big role model of mine. I know you're very good friends with him, okay? And I'd love for you to tell the Don Cherry story about this gold medal, Hockey Night in Canada, everything. Okay, so for, I'll tell you two stories, really quick stories. With I know Tom Wise, me and you could go for days, but uh, we can't do it. It just, uh, it just can't be done. Anyways, Don, I was very fortunate when uh, I was playing in Salt Lake City, my first games. Don was the guy that gave me that inspiration to know I could get up into the broadcast booth after my career and do the things I do now as a color commentary person. Uh, but Don, when, when we won the gold medal in 2006, 
March the 18th. I came off the ice. We shut the Norwegians out. Three nothing. It was the first shutout ever. One of the guys from Hockey Canada gives me the microphone. It uh, gives me my uh, cell phone. And I didn't realize it. It was 11 o'clock at night in Italy, in Torino, Italy, uh, March 18th. And Don and Ron were on set live doing Coach's Corner in Madison Square Gardens. And wow. I answer the phone, and I go, hello. And Don goes, hey, Rosie, a gold medal. Hey, I'm so proud of you. Uh, thank God I didn't That's swear. That's a great impersonation, uh, by th the way. Thank God, I didn't <laughs> thank God I didn't swear because I didn't realize we were alive. Don has just been such a huge part of my, uh, my life. He's just an incredible human being. And then, so a year later, February 7, 2007, Kerry Gouley, the Gucci, we're both good friends with, and stopped concussion. They were doing an event at Downju Park. There was about 15 gold medals on the table. And I was talking to the late uh, um, Bob Probert Bob at Probert. the time. Mr. Bob Probert. Absolutely. God bless his soul. 100%. What a great human being. And uh, Cheryl Pounder from the women's team said, hey, Rosie, we're packing the medals up. Where's your medal? And I said, it's beside yours, Pounds. We couldn't find the medal. Right away, panic ensued at Downju Park. Gooch had the police shut the place down. Cheryl got on the phone to Cassie Campbell at the time from Hockey Night in Canada. Cassie's husband, uh, Brad Pascoe, ran our team through Hockey Canada. Right away, Don Cherry found out. That night on Coach's Corner, Don goes, the rat who stole Rosie's medal put it in a mailbox. The police won't be involved. A week later, I got the medal back. Don, I've done a lot of traveling with Don over the years through the legions. Incredible Canadian. I love Don. And the ribbon, and you see, looks like a dog ate it. Yeah. We refused to get a new ribbon because that's how I got it back. I have no clue who took it. A boy, girl, man, woman. Have no clue. Don't want to know. I got it back. That's the bottom line. I take this medal everywhere. People say to me, because I got guys on my team who have it in, in glass and beautiful displays and nobody can touch it. This gold medal has been touched by thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It's in a sock in my... Anybody who knows where I live, you'd be breaking to my house. It's in the, the, the <laughs> under, underwear drawer in a sock beside <laughs> my bed. Please don't take it again. I don't know how I can get through that, losing it again. But I've got it back, thanks to Dawn. And to me, it's very important that every kid out there gets to understand that dreams can come true. Absolutely. Hey, that's, that's a great story. That's a great story. And, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, Paul. I didn't know about that story until I was doing my research yesterday. Yep. And when I read that, I was like, oh, yes, Don Cherry, Hockey Night in Canada. Yep. Paul Rosen, we got another talking point. I was very, very excited about it. It's an incredible story. Whoever it was that took Paul's gold medal, thank you for returning it. Because we can do bad things in life. Absolutely. As long as we make up for them, you will be forgiven. And I'm sure you've forgiven the person that, that took the gold medal. 100%. Absolutely. 100%. We all make mistakes. Anybody in this world that can't say they've never made a mistake in, in their lives, you're lying. Not just to everybody, but to yourself. Thank you for sharing that, buddy. It's an incredible story, and I love the fact that Don Cherry is included in it. So now, what I wanted to get into now was how dynamic you are, Paul. Because I'll be honest, man, Like we know a lot of hockey guys, and we also know that all they know is hockey. They're jocks, you know, nothing wrong with it, but, but they've, they've kind of steered their way to one sport, and that's the way it's always been with them. But you, my friend... You have opened up the world to the sports. Here goes the book again. So now, what I want to talk about is, is 2007, 2007, Rio de Janeiro, yeah. where you represented our country 
for the volleyball team, man. I played volleyball when I was a kid. Yeah. I'm a big fan of volleyball. Can we just talk about volleyball for a little bit? I just find it so interesting that you're on this national team. Yeah, I will tell again a, a funny story that very few, <laughs> I don't even think we have it fully in the book with Roger Lejoie. So in 2007, it was a year after we won the gold medal in, uh, in Torino. We won the world championships in, in uh, Kelowna, back to back. I was going through a divorce. Mentally, I was not in a good place. I was, it was in May of 2007. I was at the uh, University of Ottawa. I was walking through their, their uh, campus. I was there speaking on behalf of Soldier On, the program that gets soldiers to get understand after they've lost a limb or been hurt in battle that they can play sports. I did my talk, I was walking around. Phil Allen, who is the director of uh, volleyball for the, uh, the, the Paralympic end of it, He's walking, he goes, hey Rosie, how you doing? What are you doing here? I said, I'm just here, I just did my talk, got some time to kill. He goes, hey, the, uh, the sitting volleyball team is practicing at the gym here. We only got seven guys, we're going to Rio de Janeiro for the Parapan American Games. Uh, we've only had a standing amputee team, we've never had a sitting team, we have to put it together because we have the Paris coming to Toronto in 2015. Want to come and say a couple of words to them. I said, absolutely, I come in, there's seven of them playing four on three. I start joking with him, and one of the guys says, hey, have you ever played volleyball? And I said, yeah, uh, 1974 Thornhill High School, Ontario Championship. Yeah! That was Woo! 1974, this is 2007. <laughs> one leg now, two legs then. He goes, want to take your leg up, get on the floor and play with us, right? So I said, yeah. I get on the floor, I start pulling around. I'm now I'm, my competitiveness is coming on strong. So I say to one of the guys, hey, man, like, let's, and they're going, it's only practice. I go, there's no practice, man. There's nothing like practice. We're playing. So when it ended, I said goodbye to the guys. A month later, I got a call from Phil Allen. He goes, is there any way you'd come to Rio with us in August? We only got seven guys, and we need that attitude because, you know, we have no chance. Uh, Brazil and U.S. are going to win the, the gold and silver. We, we, there might be a chance for us to win bronze with you. Hockey Canada said yes. I went. One thing led to another. We were bronze medalists. That's incredible. Incredible story. Yes. Got to give, gotta give an applause from that as well. So now, the most interesting thing that I find about this is the fact that wasn't it the first, the first time that this happened for the Paralympics? Like, it was a game against the USA, correct? And it was, yeah. a, it was the first time that this ever occurred. So you were part of history. Which I think is really cool, Paul. Yeah, pretty well. It's uh, it, to me, it's really uh, it's an opportunity to show other people that you know you could look at so many things that have happened to me. Like, how did he compete in with with uh, Canada in the Pan American Games at 47 years old? Most of the team were 17, 18, 19 years old. And the same thing with the sled. I made the team at 40. I, I, I love doing corporate talks because there's always somebody out there in the audience that, you know, in their 40s or 50s, I can't do that. Now I can't. Can't is a word that shouldn't be in your vocabulary. Why and can't? They're two words that are just silly words because if you believe you can, give it a shot. I, I didn't know the career I would have. But with that negative attitude from the beginning, there's no way I would have done it. I absolutely love it, buddy. I absolutely love your attitude. There's a couple things that I need. I need to squeeze into the show because yep. they're so important. Now, first off, when you turn... Now, now, Paul, the thing is, is okay, so we have the same hairstyle, okay? Yep. We're embracing the Michael Jordan lifestyle. Absolutely. Okay, that's what I call it. Now, you're older than me. We look the same age. I'm, I'm 41 years old, okay? Apparently, when you turn 50, so I don't know if this was yesterday or, or, or whenever it was, but I, can't, I don't believe these numbers. When you turn 50, 
It was an incredible thing that happened because you came out and you, and you, you said to the world that you had an issue with literacy yeah. and you wanted to be a spokesperson to give people confidence to correct that. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? I absolutely no, love it. Uh, uh, not at all. My, my, <laughs> my life has gone in many different directions. I, I left school uh, in high school. I never graduated, really. I, my, it was one thing that really bothered my mother. I had a, a, a dyslexia problem, a perceptual problem. I had a reading problem where teachers called me an idiot when I was 14, 15, 16. So I played the part. You're going to call me an idiot. I'm going to play the part. I'm going to be the clown. I'm going to get into fights. I'm going to get suspended. And then when, when I turned 50, I had the opportunity through having three young kids and now having five grandchildren at 63, it was important for me to get this out because there's so many people in this world, adults, who have literacy issues. Still to this day, my reading and writing is not fantastic, but I wanted to, to show people that you could ac accomplish anything. So I got involved with ABC Life Literacy with Robert Munch, and uh, I started doing things for adult literacy and at the age of 50, I received everything I needed to get my grade 12 diploma. You know, my mom, who's been passed away, I'm 63, she passed away seven years ago. She had all kinds of things up on in her room, and, but my gold medal and my hockey achievements meant something, but there's two things that really meant the world to her. I had an honorate degree from the University of Indiana, pretty famous university, yes. and I also had my grade 12 diploma after the age of 50 to show people that anything you think you can do, if you put your mind to it and give it a shot, you know, and, until I got involved with AA and NA, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, I would never read. All of my talks were just ad-lib, me talking. Talk a subject, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. But to read something off an actual sheet, and now I do it all the time, and I do it with confidence because I know that there's nobody out there that's going to make fun of me. And if they are going to make fun of me, shame on them. There you go, buddy. I couldn't, that, that's it. It, it. It's so powerful. So now hold on a second, Paul. Man, this is, okay, so this is my copy of Never Give Up, which I'm very appreciative of. I think you write lovely, man. Well, thank you. This is, this is personalized to the only sheriff in town. Love you, buddy. Paul Rosen. Perfect writing, buddy. You, you, you've done a great job, man. Thank you've you. done a great job. Okay, so now that I have this beautiful thing in my hand, never give up. Now, this came out, was it last year? So January the 4th, this coming out, it'll be two years. It'll be two years. It'll be this, two years, January, January 4th, yeah. Okay, so now the meaning of my life. We were talking before the show. Yeah. We were talking before the show, and this book is so powerful that sometimes when things this powerful come out, there's some details that were covered up for a long period of time that people might be a little bit uncomfortable with them coming out. Do, do you mind talking about that a little bit? Because I, I, I find that that's a really important fact. It was, and I know, I know we're getting to the, uh, to the end of the show time-wise, and you got uh, Carrie Goulet, the Gooch, coming up soon. Um, I, I think we got to do another show just on mental oh, health and addiction. And because the book is really, it tells my story of my life. It tells my story of hockey and overcoming adversity. But the really the most important thing is about my addiction struggles, my mental health struggles, my suicide attempt struggles. I've had in the last four years two suicide attempts, which landed me in the hospital um, in a coma for almost 72 hours. 
and I know a lot of people feel uncomfortable. My family felt uncomfortable. They didn't want stories in this book that I put in this book. I felt, Sheriff, that it was important for me to tell the world who only saw the good and didn't see the demons and the trouble and the, and the struggles that I have as a human being all the time, still to this day I have struggles. The difference between me now and the guy 22 months ago who got out of the coma is when I have a struggle today, I have people that I talk to that can get me back on track. You cannot do this alone. The worst thing that somebody with mental health addiction, suicide issues have is called isolation. When you isolate, you hurt yourself, you hurt the opportunity for recovery. Never isolate. Call somebody, whether it's a family member, a friend, a doctor, I don't care. Whether it's me or the sheriff, we'll talk you through it. That's the only way you're gonna survive. I, I think there's a million things in this book it is a great read. Roger Lejoie did a great job. Um, too many things to go over in a minute or two because I know we're really uh, tight for time. But I would love to come back and talk about just addiction and suicide and mental health because you know this great game of hockey, which has given us this opportunity to have the life we have and the people that look up to us, mm -hmm. it's also been a struggle through this you know, people looked at you as this incredible guy, this enforcer that would take care of his teammates, that would do anything for his teammates. And they looked at the similar situation with me, but they didn't understand that when the doors closed, there was nobody there for us because we didn't let anybody in. Absolutely, thank you for sharing that. And just, just one thing to add to that, we have, we have a person that's very close to both of us, Brady Leovold. And it. now that we're talking about reaching out, we should bring up puck support because puck support is pretty much the blueprint for hockey players reaching out and getting help. So I know that you and Brady have worked together very closely. I've, I've had the opportunity to be on Brady's show and vice versa. So puck support, ladies and gentlemen, is another avenue for help. Absolutely. We should do something, the three of us. Uh, Brady Lewald has been a massive part of the last three years of my life. He's an incredible human being. Another guy who has shown the world that you can have serious, serious issues in mental health. He was living on the streets in Hastings uh, Street yep. in Vancouver. Yep. East Hastings. Know, yep. Drafted by the, uh, the Tampa, Tampa Bay Lightning. Lightning yeah. Played in the Western Hockey League. Incredible human being. Uh, heroin addict. Turned his life around for what? To help others. That's what the meaning of my life is, your life, Brady's life, is to show people that through this opportunity that we have as public figures to help other people, that's the only way truly you can enjoy what we've been given, and that's a second, third, fifth chance at life. Man, I, I, I gotta say one thing, that right before we end here, ladies and gentlemen, so I know that speaking about this is therapy for you. Absolutely. I know that the motivational speaking the Never Give Up book, it is, it is medicine for you. It cures you. So that just goes to show people, please speak out. Please ask for help, guys, if you're struggling. Because I'll tell you one thing, me and Paul have done that, and it's changed our lives. And we want the same for you guys. I'll hey. tell you what, too. This is just a start. Might be the first time I'm on the sheriff's show. Might be the first time really we're meeting face-to-face. -face, but this is not going to be the last. There's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to be helped by these two Well, faces. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot right on the show. Yep. Will you come back for a part two at the Sheriff Podcast? I'd come back tomorrow. Uh, amen. I appreciate you so much, Paul. I want to thank the, the viewers and listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Sheriff. Stay tuned for part two. But before we leave, 
I would like to mention our supporters and sponsors, guys. So we have Zenpai Dispensaries, guys. They will be open just in time for Christmas in about two weeks. Okay, they have all your needs for your dispensary, wants and needs. Check them out online, guys. Zenpai Dispensary. Thanks, guys. Tune in to you next time. Woo! Thanks for tuning in, baby.